Thank you for sharing that, Judy. Also, uh, great um, video intro for the sermon series. Unfortunately, this sermon is not part of that series. Uh, but it's okay. <laughs> Moving on. I bring you great tidings of great joy. Uh, Renee and I uh, welcomed our first son last week on Sunday. So for those of you who are wondering, yes, indeed, uh, we have welcomed our first son. Uh, I am so tired. Uh, you would not, no, some of you would believe how tired I am. Uh, you are parents, and so uh, you will imagine that I am very tired, and also Renee is even more tired, so if I fall asleep during my own sermon, please do forgive me, uh, as I will forgive you if you fall asleep during my sermon. Um, but here we are. I'm excited. Um, it is such a blessing to be able to worship with you. Um, just to hear your voices as we sing worship songs together is so edifying for my soul. It is an amazing thing to be able to worship with you all, Springvale family. We feel so blessed by you. Thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you so much for how you've blessed us with the amazing gifts. I haven't been able to thank all of you, but uh, it has been uh, just this overwhelming experience this past week. Um, so I, I hope they showed the picture, but... We'll move on. Uh, this morning, our passage comes from Luke 15, 11 through 32. Before we get there, let's start off with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And Lord, we bless your name. Lord, we praise you because you are worthy. Father, at this moment, as we go to your word, help us to see your truth. Help us to hear your truth and help us to apply it to our lives. Lord, we ask that our eyes and hearts would be opened. Lord, would your spirit move amongst us here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 2019, February of 2019, Renee and I uh, were invited to a, a destination wedding in Hawaii. And uh, we decided, you know what? It'll be a really cool trip, 2019, uh, just before the pandemic, February of 2019. So imagine this, we get on a plane and we went a place without masks, that's crazy. Uh, but we actually did that uh, and we went there for a wedding. We went a couple days early and I had planned out this trip to a T. Like on my phone, I had like directions to places and times from nine o'clock to 10 o'clock, we're gonna do this. Then right, right after that, we're gonna go to this restaurant and this is how to get to the restaurant. We're gonna order these things. I'm gonna, this is how much it's gonna cost. And then after that, we're going to do this and this and this. And one of those items that I really, really wanted to do was go on a hike and jump in a waterfall. It seemed like all the locals were doing it. And uh, I want to be like a local. I want to jump in a waterfall. It looks super cool. So we're going to jump in the waterfall. And we're going to take this two-hour hike to a cool waterfall and jump in. And on the reviews, it said great waterfall to jump in. But the hike is a little muddy. So I'm like, ah, what's a little mud? It's fine, just a little bit of mud. When I show up at this trail though, it's not a little bit muddy, it is a lot of bit muddy. And it's not just any kind of mud, it's like Hawaii mud. It's like that sticky stuff, that sticky miry mud, and it's not like, you know, up to your shoe. No, no, this is like up to just below your knee kind of mud. 
whoever wrote like a little bit of mud, like understatement of the year, but it's fine. We went on this two hour hike to the waterfall and when I get there, I do the touristy thing, gotta take the, the phone out, take a couple pictures, click, click, and I go, yes, I made it. We're gonna jump in the waterfall in the back pocket my phone goes of my swim trunks, and you see where this is going. Uh, and so kind of the waterfall, if it's over there, uh, there's kind of a pool of water. So I get in the water, and I swim across. And when I get across to the other side, I kind of stand up, and I go, <gasps> my phone. So I had dropped, or my phone had somehow in here somewhere, it was kind of like a pool of water about eight to 10 feet deep, I had dropped my phone. So I proceed to spend the next hour diving eight to 10 feet down, and it's kind of murky water, searching around, trying to find my phone. No phone. Everything is ruined. All my, my planning for the trip, I had bought a SIM card so that I'd be able to have data to text and make phone calls, all of it, gone. And you know, I, I, I've been diving so long that my lips were getting blue and I was getting, getting cold. I, I even felt a little bit sick and Renee's like, forget this. Forget it, it's just a phone, we can move on. But the rest of the day, I'm th sitting there thinking like, oh, if only I had my phone, I'd know what to do next. My phone, my phone, my phone. And I, I even came up with a plan, like I'm gonna go to Home Depot, I'm gonna buy a garden hose and I'm gonna like suck on the garden hose while like Renee holds the garden hose on the other side while I can dive down and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm so frustrated that actually the next morning, 4.30 in the morning, I get up and I go, I'm going to find my phone. So back on that two hour muddy hike I go and Renee gets up along with me. She is a wonderful woman, woman by the way. Uh, she, she is the most gracious woman without a word. She does not complain. She gets up with me 4.30 in the morning. We go out back on this hike, two hours in the mud, slogging through the mud, back to the waterfall, and we're going to find this phone. We're gonna do it, because we have our snorkel masks this time, and I'm spending an hour finding this, trying to find this phone. No phone. It's gone. It's over. My whole trip is ruined. Everything is ruined. And I kind of resigned myself to not having a phone and having to spend a whole lot of money uh, after this trip to purchase a new phone. Now, Come the night before we are supposed to leave, so that was Oahu, come the night before we are supposed to leave for Kauai, Renee gets an email from some random kid, about 16 years old, who says, hey, did you lose your, your phone in the Monowili waterfall? And it turns out there was this guy who, on a regular basis, maybe once or twice a week, goes to the Monowili waterfall, slogs through the two hours of mud, and he takes his snorkel mask and he dives for people, idiots like me who are tourists, and he dives for their phones, pulls them up out of the water, and he dries them out and returns them to people. This is just a thing that he does. So if you ever go on this Monowili waterfall, have no fear, you can have your phone with you. Uh, he will find your phone for you. And here is that very phone that I dropped in the waterfall. <laughs> For four days, it was in the, in the bottom of a waterfall, and it still works beautifully. So I can attest to you that iPhone 8s are indeed waterproof. Very waterproof. They're incredible phones. Um, <coughs> when it says water resistant, it doesn't mean water resistant. It, it means waterproof. Anyway, <clears throat> the point of the story is that the elation, <clears throat> excuse me, and the relief that I found 
uh, and, and experience with finding that phone, that, that, that feeling is something that Jesus taps into. And I'm sure you have experienced as well that Jesus taps into with our passage this morning. It comes from Luke 15, and I'm sure you've heard it before. Luke 15, 11 through 32, it is the parable of the two sons, or more famously known as the parable of the prodigal son. But what we're going to do this morning is really, really dive deep into it. We're going to notice the details because it is one of the most beautiful moments of storytelling that we find in the book of Luke. It goes like this. Uh, We're going to break it down verses 11 through 16 first. In verse 11 it says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out uh, to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his, uh, his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Let's pause there for, some, for, for a moment. Oh, yes. Thank you, Carla. Really appreciate that. So let's pause there for a moment and take notice of the details So what we have here is a father with two sons, and his younger son says to him, you know what, Dad? I'm tired of waiting around for the inheritance that you've promised me. Give it to me now. So the father, being so gracious, gives him his inheritance now. He, He divides up his property, gives it to him now, and then the younger son goes and sells his property then takes all his money, goes to a far-off distant land, and he blows all his money, and then he ends up feeding pigs all alone. Let's notice the details here first. First of all, if we understand uh, Deuteronomy 21 stipulates how inheritance is supposed to be handed out. Either when the father dies or when he is very old in age, right, a father will divvy up his property and his land. This was a very special circumstance and only done when the father was ready to move on. In this case, the father is not quite ready to move on in this parable. Yet the younger son says to the father, Hey, I am tired of waiting for you. I am tired of you being around, dad. You're boring me. Give me my money now. He is incredibly dis." respectful. He is incredibly self-seeking. It is so much like just spitting in the face of his father to say, give me the money that you basically owe me now. And then he turns around, takes that money, uh, takes that land and just sells it. Don't forget here that land is this familial inheritance. It is passed on from generation to generation to generation. Yet he takes this property and he just goes, meh, sells it. 
Then he doesn't invest his money wisely. He goes into this far off country where he's not supposed to go because Jews are supposed to stay. Israelites are supposed to stay in the country that they were promised. He goes into this far off country. Not, a, not only does he go, on, go off into this far off country, he then spends all the money. Just recklessly, wildly spends all that money. That is the kind of self-seeking son that we're talking about. He is irresponsible. He doesn't care. He is dishonorable. And notice this, that sin has isolated him. In verses 15 and 16, it says here, if I can turn in my Bible, 15 and 16, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pig ate, pigs ate. Now, when, he, when Jesus is talking about the pods, he's talking about carob pods. Carob pods would be eaten commonly by beggars, people who society had rejected, the poorest of the poor, the people who were homeless. That is the people who would eat Carapods, people who are neglected. Notice how his sin has isolated him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says sin, to, he's a famous theologian, he says sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous his isolation. Notice how the son, the younger son, has gone from living with his family to now living in a foreign country, to losing all his money, to now living, basically being neglected in a pig pen all by himself, eating carob pods. He is isolated. His sin has totally taken over him. Fortunately, though, our story doesn't end here. Repentance comes in verses 17 through 21. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, notice what he does and what he says here. There are three, there are three things I really want to point uh, or, or draw your attention to. First, his changed heart. He realizes that he has isolated himself in sin. He says to himself, you know what, I need to rejoin my family. That is step number one. He realizes that he is in sin. Second step, he realizes that his sin is not just committed against his father, but he says here that I have sinned against heaven. And ultimately, that's what his sin is. His sin is not simply against his father. His sin is against God in heaven. 
And third, and most importantly, the thing that I want you to take note of is the fact that he gets up and he goes. He gets up and he goes. He doesn't simply sit in the pig pen. He doesn't sit in the mud feeling sorry for himself like, oh, I have done so many bad things. Oh, I feel so bad about where I am in life. Or, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry for the thing that I've done. He gets up and he goes to repent. And that is something that is incredibly important Pastor Ed recently preached on it in his sermon series, This is the Way, where he said that feeling sorry for our sin is not enough. We need to be taking active steps in our repentance. Notice how he takes an active step in repentance. So whether you be struggling with pornography or you're struggling with anger, a gambling addiction or alcohol addiction, whatever you're struggling with, It is not simply enough to say, ah, I feel bad about it. No, we need to be taking active steps in recovery and repentance. We have to be saying, you know what? I need an accountability partner here. Or you know what? I need to put in some discipline in my life to make sure that I stay on track with my devotional life. Whatever it is, you need to be taking active steps in repentance. The other thing that he does not do is he does not blame everybody else around him for his problems like we often do. We say to ourselves, you know, my sp- I can't love my spouse because my spouse doesn't love me back or doesn't treat me the way that I want to be treated. So this is why I did this to my spouse. And that is absolutely the wrong way to go about it. Instead, When we look at the example of the younger son, he says, I have sinned. It's not important that the person has sinned against me, but rather he acknowledges the fact of his own sin first. So, we move on. Notice how he thinks that he can make amends. He plans to be a hired servant to repay his debt. But remember what we talked about earlier with the inheritance, how that possession of land was a generational thing. This is not something that he can simply earn back. But yet his, his, his thinking is that, you know what, I'm going to make enough money, I'm going to work for my dad in order to make this up. There is no way he can make that up. So in Verses 22 to 24, we see the father's response. It says, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now, Take note of a couple things here. The father cuts him off. He had a speech, the younger son, had a speech that he rehearsed. He was going to say, I have sinned against heaven and against you, father. Please hire me as your servant, blah, blah. All this, the father cuts him off. There is no way you're going to earn your way back. In fact, you don't have to earn your way back. Notice he does three things here. He brings him a robe. This signifies a position of honor. Think back to Jacob giving his son Joseph a robe. 
This is that same kind of feel. He is honoring his son. Not only is he forgiving his son, he is honoring, giving his son a position of honor. Second, he gives him a ring. And this commonly would be a signet ring that signifies that a, a person is, belongs to a specific family. He is re-inviting him into his family. He is saying, you, my son, our family. You aren't some servant. You are my son. And third, he brings his son sandals. Sandals are reserved for those people who are free. People who are indentured servants do not get footwear. Yet here he is giving his son sandals, shoes, to signify that he is free of the debt that he owes his father. It is all clear. And this can be the same for us this morning. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, might I suggest that this is the time. And it begins with A, accepting that we have sinned, B, believing that Jesus Christ is that sacrifice, is the person who paid the de debt for my sin and see choosing to follow him daily. There isn't anything that you can do to earn or repay that debt of sin. In fact, he has paid it for you. You simply need to accept it. So oftentimes we think of the younger son as those people who have not repented. But I might propose to you that the younger son is also us who have repented of our sins but still continue to sin. When we isolate ourselves and hide our sins from uh, our family, from our life groups, from our community, from our church, this also is us. When we refuse to repent of our sins and bring our sin to light, this is us. We are the young son longing to be fed with carob pods, stewing in the filth and mire and mud of our own sin. Yet also, the older son is us. Verses 25 through 28 says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Let's pause here. Notice the self-righteousness of the older son. Notice his isolation. Notice how he is not actually a part of the family, even though he remained at home. He actually isn't a part of the family. The whole family is in the house celebrating, yet he is all the way out here not being a part of the family. You can imagine the estranged relationship. And not only does he um, not enter the house, but he actually calls to the servant and says, you come out here and meet me. He doesn't go into the house like, hey, what's going on? What's, what's, what's happening? No, his relationship is such that he calls to the servant and they communicate through the servants. This is symbolic of how the self-righteousness of the older son has isolated him from the father. And that, again, is sometimes us, where our self-righteousness has isolated our, ourselves from people who who God has called us to be with. 
Notice here, uh, or sorry, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, again, I'll go back to him. He says, many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So instead, we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. And oftentimes, this is us. We say that we have entered into the church. We have entered into community with other believers, yet we refuse to repent of our sin. We refuse to bring our sin to light because of shame. And so we continue to hide and isolate ourselves. And we continue to pretend that everything is okay. We continue to lie to not only other people, but ourselves, and we lie to God. We say that, you know, this is not something that I have to repent of. This is something that uh, I can deal with on my own. This is something that, you know, it's, it's not important for other people to know. Yet it is the very thing that keeps Satan's grip on us. This is sin that we must repent of. Verses 29 and 32, I want us to really take notice uh, of the details that Jesus inserts right here. It says here, the father is answering. Uh, his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. A couple things I want to take note of in the older brother's response to his father. He starts by saying, look, and the Greek word that he uses there is idu, which is like this incredibly like disrespectful thing to say to your father. It's like a Come on now, what, what, what are you doing? Like, look, see here, Th this is unacceptable behavior, dad. What, what is going on? That's the kind of attitude that this word, idu, that he says to his father uh, is implying. You would never say this to your dad, yet he does this. Second, he, he, he refers to himself as doulos, or, 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 or servant, slave. It says here, uh, the, these many years I have served you, he uses the word doulos there, which essentially can also be slave. I have slaved for you, dad. I have only done the right things. Notice how he speaks in absolutes. I have never transgressed. You have never gave. Come on now. Really, older son? You never offended your, never offended your father. Not one time, never nor has your dad ever gave you anything good. Never, really, never? Think about his attitude towards his dad, his father. The third thing that I want us to take note of, notice how he says, this son of yours, not my brother, not my family relation, not my blood, this son of yours, that's his attitude. That's his presumption. Notice how he even says, uh, the younger son has spent all his money on prostitutes. Never, it doesn't say earlier that he spent all his money on prostitutes. So he just assumes it was prostitutes that he spent his money on. 
And that is sometimes us. When I was in seminary, I, I, I took this course on church planting, and I was paired up with this guy whose English was not the greatest. Uh, he was from Africa, and I was thinking to myself, I'm going to have to fix all this vocabulary. I'm going to have to fix his grammar when we do the presentation. When we write the paper, I'm going to have to do this. When I come to meet him and actually start working with him, I, I realize, uh, and he tells me that actually, he tells me that actually he has planted over 200 churches in Africa. 200, why are you even in this course? Uh, you should be the one teaching. And here I am, a guy judging him, and my, my contribution to this project is that I have good English. Like, who am I uh, to, 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 to judge um, this guy who is an incredible church planter? And that is kind of the same way sometimes we, we, we look at people coming into the church. We say, ah, but they don't dress this way, or like, yeah, they don't talk this way, or they don't behave this way. Nah, I don't like that. We are sometimes that older son. Again, I want to draw your attention to a more perfect way. I want to draw your attention to the third son in this story. The third son, you say? I am talking about the son who is telling the story. The son who is Jesus. In 15, Luke 15, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. That would be Jesus. Now, Notice how now, when we replace the story, the parable in its context, that this story becomes a very thinly veiled metaphor for his current situation. Jesus is receiving and eating with sinners and tax collectors, and he is celebrating with them, and the Pharisees are the older brother out there grumbling against Jesus. The father uh, who Jesus is emulating, in both instances, goes out to, war, to, to meet his wayward son. In the one situation, he goes out on the road to meet him. And in the other situation with the older brother, he goes out to the field to meet him. Notice how he says, uh, he restores honor to the young son, saying, euphranthani ide, which means like, it is right that we celebrate. We ought to celebrate. We need to celebrate with the young son. But he also corrects the older brother and says, your brother. He corrects his language. Instead of this son of mine, it is your brother. And he goes further than that. He responds to the look with technon, a phrase meaning my child. He doesn't get angry or cross with his older son. Rather, he responds in graciousness and love because sin divides, but grace multiplies. And that is our big idea this morning. Sin divides, but grace multiplies. See, this third son, the perfect son, is the one who we ought to emulate. This third son's example is why we celebrate things like baptisms and confessions of faith. And this is why we do things like intercede, invest, and invite our my four. And I want to draw your attention to one last thing that isn't quite so obvious when we read this parable in English. And that is the fact that this parable is incomplete. See, in normal Jewish uh, uh, 
parable or storytelling, there are eight stanzas um, that, that, that kind of the story is told in. The first section of story has eight stanzas, but the second section with the older brother only has seven. And the reason this is, is commonly that uh, teachers of the law, Pharisees, would do this. They would leave that seventh or eighth line off to say to the congregation or whoever's listening, to, to, to the students, now what do you think this means for you? What is the application here? That last line is missing because he is saying, what do you think this means? What is the application here for you. Now this morning, I don't exactly know what's going on in each and every one of your lives, but God is calling us to repent and receive graciously sinners because sin divides, but grace multiplies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your grace is enough. Lord, we praise you because you are the one who has first forgiven us. Lord, you are the one who loved us first. So Father, help us to see our sin, to come before you, present it before you, and know that we are forgiven for it. We ask for your mercy in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together.